Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, let me go ahead and invite you this morning to turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I know it may not seem like a typical uh, Christmas time of year text, but I pray that what you'll see as we go through 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a promise that was given to God's people that we're going to see fulfilled in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is we're continuing the series. If you weren't with us last week, we started this series where we are looking at Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus whenever he came. And so we're going to see that continued this morning. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what we see, I want to give you just a little bit of the background and context just so we know where we are historically in the setting. So, so at this point, David is king, but David is a pretty new king at this point. He's been king for a few years, but he's going to be king for a lot more years after this. But so David is king, and things are pretty good. Things are pretty good for the people of Israel. They've, they've, they're setting their borders. They are, they, are, uh, they are together as a nation. We don't have the separated nations of Israel and Judah fighting against each other. They just finished fighting against one another. They're here together for a while longer. And so a lot of those things are good. But, but to help us understand, I think this will make good sense to us, things are good for the people of Israel here. But it's kind of like January of 2021. Like all of the bad stuff just got over. And I know I can't tell you what's going to happen in January of 2021. That's how a lot of us talk about it, right? When 2021 gets here, 2020 is over, things are going to be better. Well, this is like January of 2021. So just before this, you know, David had been chosen to be king for over 20 years before he actually got to be king. And so during that time, he's on the run. King Saul is trying to kill him. He tries to kill him lots of times. Uh, David did become king over Judah before he became king over both Judah and Israel. But he was, he was king over part of God's people, and they were fighting and battling against the rest of God's people. So you have him having to lead wars against the people of Israel, which is not good. He has to lament the death of Saul. He laments the death of his best friend, Jonathan. The people had to fight against the Amalekites. The people had to fight against the Jebusites. The people had to fight against the Philistines twice. So things had been rough, and they had been rough for a while, even though they are now here good. So I want us to have that context in mind. These are people that have been war-torn. These are people that are, are trying to establish themselves as a nation, trying to set their borders, trying to keep the enemies at bay, doing all of these things and wanting these things, right? They want to be settled. They want to be established. They want to be at rest. They want to have peace. They want David to be their king for a long time. And so with all of that in mind, we will see the promises that we first come to here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So look with me, we're, we're going to begin at verse 8, the first part of this chapter. David says he wants to build a temple for God. God tells him, no, I've got a different plan. And so we're going to pick up with what God is saying to 
David through the prophet Nathan in verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And so we see here some promises, some that are addressed directly to David, some in a broader context. But you have to understand that, that if a king is doing well, that generally speaking the nation is doing well also. And so the promises to David are also promises to all of God's people in that day and time. And so just listen at some of these promises that we see here. He says, I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Very similar to the promise that God had made to Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. I will appoint a place for my people Israel. You know, they've been longing for the promised land for so long. And God says, I'm going to give that to them. That is going to be your place and you're going to be settled there. It says that, that they will dwell in the land and be disturbed no more. They will have rest from all of their enemies. And these are things that would have sounded so good to them. These are, these are promises that they have been looking forward to. These are promises that they've been longing for. You'll have your own place. Your enemies will leave you alone. You will be settled. I'm going to give your king a name that's great, like the great ones that have ever lived on the earth. And then the last promise... He says, and the Lord will make you a house. He says that to David. And so this is a, a play on words that God uses here. David says, I want to build you a house. Speaking of a temple, and God says, no, I'm going to make you a house, David. And we'll see in just a minute exactly what that means. But point one this morning, this is what we see in our text today. This is what we refer to as the Davidic Covenant. The covenant or promises that God makes to his people through David. So God promises these things to David. He's promising these things to the nation. Point one, the Davidic covenant was full of beautiful promises. Not just one, not just two. It was full of beautiful promises, right? The great name, the fame that's going to come with it of being God's people of having their own place, of being settled, of not having to worry about enemies, about having rest. All of these things are found here. How do they know that that'll happen? How do they know that God can do all of this, right? How would they not be skeptical? Well, verses 8 and 9 reminded them where they got, how they got where they were, specifically David. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And so we've seen this many times throughout the scriptures. 
God in, in giving a covenant or, or referring to his people or wanting them to trust him would, would point back to the time that he brought them out of Egypt or would point back to the time that he had helped them defeat their enemies. And he does the same thing for David here. It's just more personal. David, you were a shepherd. You were nothing in the eyes of the people. But I took you from there and have brought you from there to being a prince, to being a king, ruling the people. I have defeated all of your enemies, David. It wasn't you. It was me. I've done all these things for you, and so you can trust that I'm going to do these things as well. So we understand most of these promises. We understand about having their own land. We understand about defeating their enemies. But I want us to focus on this last one. David, I will make you a house. What does that mean? And the rest of our text here today, I believe, explains that. So look back with me in 2 Samuel 7, beginning in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So here we see the answer, and again, it's, it's this play on words with house, right? There are two meanings for the word house here, and one is a literal physical dwelling. David wanted to build a temple or a house to put the Ark of the Covenant in where God's presence would be. God says, David, you're not going to build for me a house, but one of your sons, one of your actual biological sons, will be king after you, and he will build me a house. And he means here a literal house. And that happens. David's son Solomon builds the temple. And so the literal idea of a house or permanent dwelling place. But there's also one here that is not a literal idea of a house, and it's this idea of a dynasty. I think that's the word that we would usually use here. God is telling David when he says, I'm going to make you a house, or I'm going to establish your son, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's saying, I'm going to give you a dynasty that will last forever. One of your descendants, David, will be king forever. And that is the promise. And you have to think about what that would sound like to a king who lived in a time when kings and kingdoms come, came and went like seasons change. That one of his sons would be king, but not just one of his sons, but that his descendants would be king Forever, an everlasting dynasty. And for the people of Israel, they loved David. They loved King David. And so for David and one of his descendants to be the king forever means that the nation is going to rule and last forever. And so these are beautiful promises. These are good things that they are looking for. But, but this idea of God making David into a house, the idea is most clearly seen there in verse 16. And your house, right, or your dynasty, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. 
Your throne shall be established forever. Point two, God promised to establish a descendant of David on the throne forever. Promised to establish a descendant of David on the throne forever. And says, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Brothers and sisters, this is a huge promise. One that the people wanted, one that they desired, and it goes right along with all the rest of these. If they have a kingdom that's forever, if they have a king ruling forever, they will have the borders forever. They will have protection forever. They will be a nation forever. They don't have to worry about all these things. And part of this text is talking about Solomon. Like I said, Solomon is one of David's biological sons. Solomon does come from David's own body. Solomon does become king. Solomon does build the temple. Solomon was disciplined by God at times when he did things he shouldn't have. But Solomon didn't live forever. So the last thing we have to see today is what gives on that. Was it a lie? Was it a mistake? Did God change his mind? Did he remove his steadfast covenant love from them, even though he promised that he wouldn't? If he didn't establish one of David's son to rule forever, does that mean that all the other promises weren't going to come true? They weren't going to have peace and rest and comfort and help and God fighting their enemies. How can we trust any of the promises if we can't trust all the promises? So the last thing we see today is how did this promise of God making David's dynasty last forever happen? How did it happen? And I'll give you a hint. It's why this is a Christmas text. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. I have a couple of different things that I want to show you in Matthew chapter 1 where we can see the fulfillment of these promises. That one of David's sons or one of David's descendants, would be king forever. That he would be called the son of God, right? He will be to me a son, and I will be to him a father. We see that there in verse 14. So it has to be a son of David. It has to be the son of God. And then he has to rule forever. Matthew 1, 1. The very beginning of the New Testament. says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right off we see here that Jesus was literally a descendant of David. And that's true. It, you can go, if you read Matthew chapter 1, you can follow the lineage. One of David's descendants was Jesus. He came from the bloodline of David. And so we already see that Jesus is a descendant of David. All right. Look in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. And listen to this, don't just listen to see the promise, but listen to the beautiful words that we see here as we read this part of the Christmas story. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see here in Matthew 1, 18-23, we see that, that Jesus was not only a descendant of David, in their terms a son of David, but he was also the son of God. So he meets these two criteria. He's the son of David. He's the son of God. But not only is he the son of God, it tells us that he is God. Right? We see that the prophecy of Isaiah was that they would call the Messiah's name Emmanuel. Not just because it would be the son of God with us, but it would be God with us. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was the Son of God, and Jesus was God. And He left heaven and came here, and that is the Christmas story. Not that a baby was born to Mary, but the Son of God was born. A descendant of David, who is also the Son of God, was born. And the last thing we have to see here, not just that Jesus is a descendant of David, there are a lot of descendants of David. We see that He is the Son of God that came to earth, but... Also, back in verse 1, it said this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, that's significant. I want you to follow me here for just a moment. If you're falling asleep, roll down your windows. You'll wake up. Jesus Christ. Why is it significant that he's called Jesus Christ? You know, in the Old Testament... Right, we started off today looking in 2 Samuel. We're talking about people looking forward to the promises of God. And in the Old Testament, they had a name for the person that they were looking forward to coming. They called him the Messiah. It, it meant chosen one. It meant anointed one. But that they were looking for the chosen one to come. And so they say, we're waiting for the Messiah. Because when the Messiah comes... He is going to establish our borders. When the Messiah comes, He is going to make us into a kingdom. When the Messiah comes, He is going to take away all of the oppression of our enemies. When the Messiah comes, He is going to give us peace and comfort and rest. And the Messiah is our hope. And so they looked for the Messiah. And they prayed for the Messiah. And they, that's what they talked about. And it's what their scriptures talked about. And it's what the Old Testament points to. It's pointing to this Messiah that's coming. And so many of the things, so many of the promises of the Messiah are seen there in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We see that he's going to give them those things. But we also see it in Isaiah 9 that Brother Dusty read for us as we began this morning. Right, The Messiah would be the great light shining into the darkness. The Messiah would multiply the joy of the nation. The Messiah would bring an end to wars. The Messiah would carry the government on his shoulders. The Messiah would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the Messiah would fulfill verse 7, the last verse he read for us. It says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Brothers and sisters, Messiah is bringing peace that will not end. The, the Messiah is establishing a kingdom where justice and righteousness are the ruling terms. 
He's bringing a kingdom where justice and righteousness will always take place and that will last forever and ever. Now, I'm just here to tell you, I want to be part of that kind of kingdom. I want to be part of a nation, of a kingdom that is not going to end and where corruption doesn't take place, and where lying doesn't take place, and where those sort of things and, and manipulation and, and bribing is not rewarded, but justice and righteousness rule the day. Where peace is what everyone knows and the only thing that they know forever and ever. I want to be part of that, and so did the people of the Old Testament. And so they begged and prayed and waited for the Messiah. Now, why is it significant that Jesus is called Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, it's not his last name. Jesus Christ, that's not the last name of Jesus. They would have called him the son of Joseph if they wanted to, to recognize him more clearly. No, you see, the word Messiah comes from a Hebrew word. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. If you take the word Messiah and translate it into Greek, that the New Testament, that the book of Matthew is written in, it just changes and it goes from being Messiah to being Christ. That's what Matthew 1.1 says. It says the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's all it's saying. It's saying that the, the genealogy of Jesus, the chosen one, of Jesus, the anointed one, of Jesus that's bringing peace and a kingdom that will last forever and, and comfort and hope and security, that's what Jesus is bringing. He's the one that fulfills all of those promises. That's why we celebrate so much at Christmas, brother and sister, because Jesus finally came and brought all of the things that all of the people had wanted for so long. Point three, the last point, the main point. Jesus is the promised Son of David, Son of God, and Messiah. That's who Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. I pray that you are smiling as I say it. This is good news. And then we see throughout the New Testament that that certainly it is an establishment that lasts forever. In Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, right, Jesus says to him, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm ruling and I'm reigning over everything. And then he tells him at the end of it, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm ruling everything, I'm in charge of everything, and I'm going to continue to be in charge of everything. In Revelation chapter 1, whenever, whenever John sees Jesus and, and falls out faint because of Jesus, in verses 17 and 18 it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. You see, brothers and sisters, Christmas is about a baby. But it's not just any baby. The baby is God that left heaven and came to earth. It's the Messiah. It's the promised one. It's Jesus who offers an eternal kingdom that has a permanent place for everyone that's part of it. 
A kingdom that, that offers rest from fighting. There's no fighting. There's no arguing. There are no wars. A kingdom where there's rest from striving and working hard and not getting anywhere. That offers a relationship with God. That offers peace and joy and assurance. Jesus came to offer that to people that need it desperately. People like you and like me. He paid a great price for it. Jesus came as a baby, but he grew up to be a man and was crucified as if he were a criminal. He took the wrath of God for, for our sins so that when we respond to him in faith, that we know that we are part of his kingdom. Jesus came to make all these promises true, brothers and sisters. So if you're here today and you feel like the people of Israel... You feel like your life is unsettled and restless and a wreck and miserable. You feel like you're, you're working so hard and you're not getting anywhere. You feel like you want some peace. You want some reassurance. You want some hope. You want joy. Maybe you're here today and, and you, you want to feel loved. You don't feel like anybody loves you. You don't feel like anybody cares for you. Maybe you feel alone and you want to feel like you're part of something. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to offer all of these things. One person offers all of the things that I've just named. He will show you love and care like you have never known from anyone else. He will adopt you as one of his sons or one of his daughters to make you part of his family and to make you part of this eternal kingdom that has all of these wonderful, gracious benefits. Not because you deserve it, but because how gracious and merciful he is. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is a time to celebrate because the Messiah has come. And he is Jesus. So this morning I'm going to pray. We're not having an invitation in that sense, but I, just, I do want you to know that even though we're not doing normal services and things, that I'm available to you. If you have questions about these things, if you want to discuss the idea of having faith or responding in faith or what that looks like or how you do that or, or, or how you need Jesus or how you could come to Jesus, if you have questions, call me. Let me know. Come by the office. We're still, having our, we're still working normal office hours. We'll be here every day during the week. Come by. If you're on Facebook, send us a message on Facebook. But if you have questions, I still would love the opportunity to meet with you or to talk to you on the phone and discuss those things. Right now, I just want to end by praying. And I ask that you join me as we pray and thank God for the blessing of sending us the Messiah, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us and you are so much better to us than we deserve. Lord, we don't deserve these promises, but you have offered them to us anyways. Lord, I'm so thankful that, that the Messiah wasn't just for the people of Israel, not just for that nation. And Lord, the kingdom that he has established isn't just a worldly kingdom, but Lord, it's a kingdom that will last forever. It's your kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I'm thankful that, that Jesus gave his own life, that he died and came back to life, that we all could be part of it, Father. That if we would respond in faith, that we would know that we are part of your kingdom, that you have made us new. So, Father, we thank you for these blessings. We thank you for Christmas whenever we stop 
and, and slow down and remember the beautiful blessings of Jesus. God himself leaving heaven and coming here to earth. Emmanuel coming to be with us. So, Father, thank you for these things. I pray that you would allow them to resonate in our hearts, that we would long for the second coming of Jesus, like the people of the Old Testament longed for the first coming of Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that you would be with us and that we would not only wait for the promise of peace and hope and joy to come and eternal life in heaven, but, Lord, that we would spend time with you, more time with you in your word and in prayer, that we would experience those things more fully here and now as you offer them to us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a couple of announcements before you run off this morning. Uh, Around the front side of the church on the porch, there are several things I want to make sure that you're aware of. One, there's an empty table that if you brought uh, things to give to the food pantry for the food drive, if you brought those one-pound bags of rice or if you brought cans of chicken noodle soup, you can drop those off there. Uh, if you didn't bring them today and you're wondering, you can still bring those next week and we'll have that and you can set them out there and you don't have to come inside the building so be aware of that. Also, there's a table out there that has some children's lessons. Uh, we would like, my recommendation, you can do it however you'd like, but, but my recommendation is that you take those, and, and this Wednesday night, since we're not doing Wednesday night church right now, uh, take that lesson and sit down as a family and go over it with your children. If nothing else, there's a Bible story on there. Uh, it's, a, it's a version of the Bible story that's, that's understandable for kids, and all you have to do is read it. Read that Bible story to your kids, and there are some activities that they can do on the back. Those lessons, there are three different sets. They're age group appropriate, so find the one for your children and take those, and if we need to make more copies, we will. Uh, but we want to empower you to be teaching your children the Bible at home. Um, you'll also get in just a little bit the text message with follow-up questions from today's sermon. I pray that you'll look at that. I pray that you will discuss those together as well. Uh, on the front table there, the Advent devotionals. Those of you that ordered one of those, that wanted one of those, there on the front table. You can get those. And uh, adult Sunday school material is around there as well. Open windows. Uh, there are a lot of different things that you can use to study throughout the week if you would check that out before you go. Um, we're not doing Wednesday night services right now. One last announcement. We will have a business meeting in two weeks. I know that that means that we're going to do the business meeting out here, and I know that that's different, but it's, uh, it's, it's vital that we have this business meeting. Um, and so there are a couple of things to specifically note at that business meeting in two weeks. We are going to uh, have a motion to freeze our current budget, uh, for at least a few months. If we set it outside for just a little bit, it'll probably do just that. It'll just freeze. I'm sorry. Uh, but we are going to freeze it until we feel like it's safe and, and more uh, and a better place for our committees to be able to meet. So we're going to freeze our current budget for at least a few months. And we're also going to have a motion to freeze most of our committees for at least a few months in the same setting until we feel it's safe for our nominating committee to work through all those issues. And before many of you might feel more comfortable committing to serve or teach in different areas because of COVID. We have a very few limited committees, 
uh, that we would be voting to change some that are very active during this time that, that are already nominating committee has already got in place so uh, at the business meeting we'll be have a motion to freeze the budget to freeze most of our committees and to elect a very few number limited number of new committees and so those things will take place in two weeks uh, Sunday morning after the service at drive-in we'll just do it by honking of horn or something of that nature but we do need to have that business meeting all right thank you so much for coming this morning i pray that you would check out the things on the front on your way out and uh we'll be praying for you we pray that you have a wonderful week and we'll see you back out here next sunday morning at nine god bless <laughs>